0: hello everyone and welcome to shot reverse shot a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode my name's edwin davis and joining me this week through the miracle of satellite technology it's emily benita hi emily how's it going
1: thank you. I'm just back from um, a mass gathering of, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I attended the Black Lives Matter demonstration protest today, uh, as we're mm-hmm. recording on Sunday, and it felt really good to be around people getting together to not put up with <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: the horrors that are still happening. I don't have the words for it. I'm not the person to speak on this point, but it was good to be there and listen with my mask on, mm-hmm. doing my best to keep a good distance from people, but still being able to, for those who are able to use use your body in a political way, I've missed that.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: We talked about it a little bit last week, but I think it has been really heartening this week I think seeing the protests seeing them continuing to go on seeing like mass groups of people coming together in support of a cause advocating for things for some changes to certainly be being talked about you know I think you're starting to see a lot hear a lot of like mayors over here in America talking about The possibility of making changes to the police not you know going as far as people would obviously want in terms of like defunding or abolishing them but you know at the very least saying hey maybe there is a problem we should do something about it which you know is not a reason to stop protesting or to stop pushing but at least is a one of those things that make you think okay like a crack is starting to appear you know let's kind of let's kind of like press on and do more which is is nice to see you know like that slight give and people not being mollified at least so far by those kind of like half measures
1: exactly there's no half measures aren't good enough Mm. and it was something that was brought to me in terms of understanding that finally that being not racist is not enough you have to be Mm. actively anti-racist And the unlearning and having, having, finally having like a better education than the very colonial one that I was (laughs) being sent to private school. Mm. It's just a certain standard of education. It doesn't mean that it's better or it teaches you to be a good person or aware of what's happening in the world. And it's something that I feel like. I was certainly edging on, or more that this is like thematically part of it, when uh, we were, had our favorite actors episode not that long ago Ed, and I realized, why is, no, why is this just a list of white people?
2: Mm, yeah.
1: And it just goes to show I always need to be doing better and doing more, and there are so many different fronts to fight this on because systemic racism is insidious and everywhere. Mm. whilst i don't think going to a protest or watching a documentary is going to solve things it won't it needs to be consistent and across as many Mm. as each of us possibly can um and i'm still not good at talking about this
0: yeah i think everyone everyone is kind of like learn why not everyone All white people are learning (laughs) as they (laughs) go along. All of our lot, Ed. (laughs) Yes, our kind of people who maybe haven't had to think about this stuff because it's never been something that's necessarily impinged upon your life before because you've got tremendous privilege, uh, are having to kind of like learn about this, this stuff, you know, on the fly and trying to listen to... More to to black voices to listen to people who've been you know in in the in the fight for a long time, and yeah, like they say, like you you, you're getting better, but it's a lot to kind of like take on in a in a fairly short period of time. But like every I like I like to think that everyone is trying to do a little better, and and like you say, we're all kind of dealing with a lot of conditioning and education, which even like like in terms of your point about like it's not just about not being racist i was just thinking now about you know my education i studied history at university i was obviously a student of history throughout you know my entire life pretty much and just thinking now how i in my kind of like education clearly came up in that period where they were not in britain at least you know they're not teaching that the um empire was good anymore Like, they're not sitting around being like, oh, yes, all this kind of, like, we controlled a third of the world and it was all wonderful or whatever, you know, great, glorious thing. But also they're just kind of not talking about it anymore Mm. (laughs) kind of which is not an improvement like you you actually actively need to be kind of like yes the british waged a centuries-long campaign of white supremacy against the people of the world and resulted in the slaughters of millions and also we stole all their stuff and put them in our museums like that kind of seems like it should probably be the baseline of British education <laughs> as opposed to what it is now, which is, uh, okay, there's the Tudors and then World War I and the rest of it is kind of, you know, you, you can read it on your own time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll teach you about World War II many times because uh, that was a good one for us.
1: <laughs> Speaking of colonialism, Ed, you know what else? Um, was a major, um, I, I use export in heavy air quotes here, um, mm-hmm. the gender binary. Mm. And guess who's been spouting turf nonsense yet again? That's right. We all thought there was enough going on. But no, someone's alarm went off and decided now is the time for mm. me to chat shit about, <laughs> about trans people. Yes, it's the it's the witch school lady and yeah, she's at it again. And I feel like we just need to point that out because we can both just be uh, very flumped about it and and move on because it's not up, you know, trans rights are not up for debate.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's, there's plenty of people online who are pointing out how completely stupid she is on this stuff and how she's just spouting hateful enough, hateful stuff without provocation as well, which is the yes. craziest thing. Yeah. Like um, Parker Malloy... Was kind of detailing uh, this 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 rant that J.K. Rowling went on and pointing out that she started from an article which referred to you uh, basically says you know people who menstruate and a- acting as if that article was trying to pretend that women weren't a word or women didn't exist and then if you read the article like women and girl are used like a hundred times <laughs> it's just like every every time it was more just about trying to use inclusive language to refer to the fact that you know cis women aren't the only people who menstruate you know there's a there's a lot of people who menstruate
1: and a lot of and, a lot of cis women don't menstruate for a variety well, yes. of reasons and that doesn't yes. take away their womanhood
0: Like exactly so there is it was very much just being set off by nothing to do with trans women at all <laughs> even the article itself isn't about trans women but yeah it, so it's just a it's just a ridiculous thing that she's been set off in the middle of all this other stuff just to spout anti-trans stuff so if people want to read lots of people very intelligently taking her to task for it then you know there's plenty of it on twitter so uh, so yeah so we'll move on from that <laughs> so uh what have you been up to culturally this week
1: Well, Ed, uh, speaking of direct action, I watched Big Fat Liar Mm
2: -hmm. for the first
1: time. Interesting. Did not go where I thought it was going to go. In And spoilers for a film that's several, (laughs) several years old. The end halcyonic point, which is not dissimilar from Hollywood, which I was kind of raving about the hot messness of it a while back. We have a film directed by an Asian... American man written by a white woman, but yeah. <laughs> progress is mm. unfortunately <laughs> incremental. Um, and I'm not trying to put myself out of uh, a potential writing job in the future, written and produced, sorry, written and produced multi-hyphenate threat, uh, by a woman story by a child and, uh, <laughs> featuring two, two black leads uh, under a, a studio run by a black studio head. Like, oh my God. <laughs> I was not um turns out if you just remove Paul Giamatti, everything's better. Um and that was kind of the uh it it managed to be the sort of level of uh radicalisation and allyship that my brain <laughs> my brain needed. Um and I've been watching a lot of 24 hours in A and E, which is a UK fact ense factual entertainment. Um, documentary series that has been on Channel 4 for several years um, and I cannot get enough of it at the moment because I think it is me trying to look for the helpers because in these times even though, particularly in the UK there's a lot of lip service for key workers, particularly those who work in medicine and care we can't see them I mean, the the fortune you're fortunate if you don't see them, right? But there's something maybe in the Mr. Rogers adage of trying to look for the helpers where I am watching these people and the series is just so incredibly well-made because it gives people the chance to tell their stories and it's such a beautiful portrait of, you know, everyone's got a story and everyone is vulnerable and mm. these are the people who were there for you in the worst moments of your life. And, yeah, you'd think that, particularly as someone who feels they can watch a lot of disturbing footage, and, again, not be not affected by it, but be able to witness it, um, mm. apart from surgery, I seem to have upped my upped my tolerance for injury detail by watching it. <laughs> and, yeah, there's been a fair bit of that, but then also um most importantly uh this week wanting to re-educate myself and but also taking you know it's not it's not to say that um you know you can't just enjoy black culture without valuing black life and fighting for black life but it is important to recognize that Black people and cultural works don't have to just be about their trauma and mm-hmm. in a way to educate white people. Um, so I've been reading uh, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby because she makes me cackle like no one else. She's just wonderful. Her writing is it's just fucking hilarious. There's no two ways about it. And and I've just been disappointed that The Help and the Green Book are uh, films that are trending.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, people at my work put together a a powerpoint which was like you know think, things that you can do to help in you know the current situation which was a list of like charitable organizations that you can donate to and bail funds and all this sort of stuff and like i thought oh that's wonderful but then there was a section on like movies and i was like as soon as i looked at that i was like oh no you've put green book on there <laughs> just kind of like uh you're doing so well <laughs> until, until you went for the most white savoury of white savoury movies in recent memory. For me, in terms of culture this week, on a similar kind of uh, trip of wanting to watch things that are fun but also have a kind of like, it's nice to see the established order get its key- teeth kicked in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> a trend. I watched a movie that came out last year called Ready or Not which Ooh, I'd heard yeah. l- which I'd heard a lot of great things about and it lived up to those expectations it's um a kind of spin on the most dangerous game where a young woman paid by uh Samara Weaving who's fantastic in the movie marries into this like really rich family and goes to their house for this tradition they have cuz the the family got rich through producing board games basically and every time someone marries into the family they pick a game at random and you know in some instances it's a fairly benign game that the people play just kind of like to inaugurate them into the family sometimes they play a game of hide and seek and what hide and seek involves in this uh context is the newlywed being hunted down and then sacrificed (laughs) and so Sabara weaving spends the whole movie being chased by the members of this family but what i think really sets it apart for me other than the fact that the action in it is very good there's like a real darkness to it but also a real funniness to it is that the family who are played by a bunch of of really kind of great people like mark cerny who i love from um like Mission Impossible, uh, Andy McDowell, Christian Brune, who I mainly know from his appearances on uh, Comedy Bang Bang, but he's very good in this as well. They're all kind of bumbling idiots and they're constantly fucking up and accidentally killing the wrong people. And there's this wonderful line to it that I really like of just basically being like, yeah, the rich are exploitative and they kind of like profit off of the the literal blood and death of people uh to kind of enrich themselves but also they're a bunch of fucking idiots (laughs) and if you uh, and they are beatable uh and there's something quite nice about that of that kind of idea being expressed in a movie that is just so kind of like wonderfully over the top and entertaining and yeah i i've really enjoyed it It really (laughs) it really met me where i was this week in terms of my overall overall mood yeah so i i really enjoyed that Uh, And I also watched a movie that I've been wanting to see for years and years and years, but has now been added to the Criterion channel because they just put out a bunch of early Martin Scorsese shorts, which is his documentary Italian American, Mm. where he talks to uh, his parents, uh, Catherine and Charles, who also appear in a bunch of his other movies in small roles. Uh, You know, she most notably plays Joe Pesci's mother in Goodfellas, but uh, also, you know, he would cast them in small parts in loads of his movies over the years. Uh, And it's just such a wonderful act of love because it's just him with a small crew filming them and talking to them in their little apartment in, I think, Queens. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. But, you know, just them just talking about their lives, about their families, about, you know, growing up and all the little jobs that they had over the years, about raising him, about, you know, coming from a big family and about pasta and food and wine. And it's just this really lovely portrait of two really seemingly just incredibly nice people who are really good at storytelling and who Scorsese just clearly just adores and is really enjoying the chance to kind of like just talk to them and capture something of their essence on screen. So that was that was a real nice uh, blind spot to fill in my kind of like Scorsese filmography, because that's one of those ones that I've wanted to see for ages and just never had the opportunity to. Mm. So we'll go on to the news this week. And this is kind of going to be a news heavy episode, I guess, because the main topic kind of covers a lot of stuff that's been in the news in general. But we'll start by talking about uh, Blackout Tuesday, which was a event campaign, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, on social media and on the internet this week, where you know, kind of, it was encouraged that you know, kind of, like that people were to not post or companies were to not post in order to amplify black voices, allow people black black people to talk about their experiences and what they're seeing at the time at this time of of protest and trying to raise awareness and pretty much as soon as it started uh it just got dragged relentlessly by black people because one of the things that also people were doing were posting just a black square on their instagram or their twitter often with a hashtag for like black lives matter or whatever and then all that ended up doing was drowning out posts about black lives matter and you know about genuine causes with all of these black squares so it was kind of one of these like very well-meaning um and well-intentioned campaigns that pretty much instantly were revealed to be a bad idea in practice in that they kind of you know directly drowned out black voices with all these black squares that made it hard for people to like see videos of police brutality or tributes to people who have been victims of police brutality but also in a like a more abstract way it basically meant that all these people with like all companies with big platforms were not using it to amplify black voices which actually would have been more helpful like it would have perhaps been more helpful to basically say hey don't post anything original on twitter on this day instead just like retweet the hell out of people who are like advocating for change which i've some people were doing but like there was some confusion i think about what the point of the whole thing was
1: i put my hands up here ed i fucked it completely i was one of those people (laughs) i was one of those people who posted a black square and had Mm. the hashtag black lives matter along with blackout tuesday and it's thanks to other activist friends of mine who And they didn't have to, but they were incredibly sweet and polite and in good faith understood that I made a mistake and told me don't use Mm. that hashtag. And I was like, oh, sure. Got rid of it and then deleted it as more and more information came in. And by the end of the day... Uh, a friend of mine told me, like, oh, it was interesting to watch your journey on social media. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, in, in real time, Emily fucking <laughs> up being an ally. Which is going to happen? Um, just mm-hmm. And the number of tweets and people just saying, like, look, you're going to be bad at this. You can fuck up. But just keep going. Don't let it stop you. Like, your ego and your embarrassment is not the point of this. <laughs> so just, like, yeah. suck it up. And I had a little sit down at the end of the day and thought, hmm, what am I going to learn from this? A lot. But one of the things that I realised when I thought, like, looked back on it was the idea I think came from, and I say I think because I'm more than open to correction, I would like to make that very clear, um, was started by a group of people in the music industry. um, And I think what they were asking to do was an incredibly simple that then ended up being reductive because it's very right. it's very fucking simple to have a hashtag and post a black square,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: again, let's not forget it, not going to solve racism, but is one thing on one front um, that particularly at a time when, for a lot of people, mass gathering is not an option. Mm-hmm. It was quite powerful to see, to scroll through Instagram and the majority of people, it was black square, black square, black square so in terms of almost like a vigil kind of action and as an, yeah. as an aesthetic representation there could have been a benefit to it but basically what happened is we blocked the pipes <laughs> we put it all completely in the wrong direction um and i think being submuted or using your platform to elevate other people and to ensure that information about donations and information about things being on the ground and the front line is really important and I th- thought through my head, like my thinking process, and I didn't think that my square was going to do anything. I didn't realize that all of us together could basically demonstrate, and for it to have any effect. And the problem is with these things, it always seems to be that the effect goes in the least, the you know, the last place you want it to happen. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, wow, that was actually a mass movement. It it fucked up, like we we fucked up. And by we, I hope it's clear who I mean by now. Um, but it did show me, like, oh fuck! I didn't realize it was—it was a new awareness of how powerful social media could be if we yeah. used it correctly. Um, mm. And understanding what the Black Lives Matter hashtag actually is about—it's really important. And I think Black Lives Matter in particular, because it's about the organisation of movements. And Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter is different from me too, because as far as I understand it, Black Lives Matter organized through that hashtag. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah. And and that's it. If you ask people to do something very simple and essentially performative, very easy. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's it. It's not, I hope it's a big learning curve point for, all of us because again I think the context of the pandemic means that these things do have more attention on them yeah so as long as we can all go i put my hands up I fucked up I'm sorry I'll do better and not be like oh why aren't you forgiving me for this thing that (laughs) you you know there are better things to do basically
0: (laughs) yeah I I think you're right in in terms of like you know, visually on Instagram, all of the black squares and everything like it, 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 it makes sense if you push it, put it in terms of like, you know, in, in 2012, when there were all of the protests against um, SOPA and PIPA, uh, PIPA, I have you pronounce it, the um Stop Internet Online Piracy Act which was the act that was going to be passed through Congress that would have had, like, an immensely detrimental effect on the internet in general and, like, but was intended to, you know, kind of, like, curb online piracy, but everyone said would have all of these, like, horribly disastrous side effects. And the kind of way in which a lot of websites protested that was they just, like, went offline for 24 hours to basically say this is what the internet will be like if the Sopa and PIPA pass. And this, you can see like, okay, they're going for the same effect of being like, oh my God, you know, look at all of these kind of like black squares, look at the way in which they are altering your daily experience of the internet. And you think, you know, it's kind of trying to make a statement when instead of like stopping information from going, which are what those protests in 2012 were about, it's that you should really be making it easier for the internet, for the information to get out there. Really, so like it was like it's one of those things again, like I say, well intentioned, but ultimately uh, a little counterproductive. Obviously, hasn't stopped the broader movement or the protests or anything like that. It's just one of those, like you say, it's it's a good learning experience, I think, for a lot of allies and potential allies, people who want to do better and are looking for something to do that they are able, like you say, that they are able to do when so many people are trapped in their own homes. Yeah. Uh, and jenna jenna wertham had a great article in the new york times the beleaguered new york times having a rough week over there <laughs> um about this sort of stuff which did make the point which i hadn't really considered about why exactly these protests feel different and broader to say the protests that arose around michael brown's death in 2014 for example or eric, eric garner's death uh, a few years ago where yeah, you know, they are coming at the point when so many people have been trapped in their homes for months on end and have maybe developed a greater dependency on their phone and on computers as a way of experiencing the world and connecting with people. And so that makes you more attuned to kind of like focus on these sort of things, which, you know, is has been, I think, a benefit in how broad the movement's been and how much the protests have really impacted life daily life in america and around the world but yeah i think it, it, it does like, like you say it, it shows how powerful social media can be and how easy it can be to kind of like trip up
1: also ed this uh this week saw the inaugural pride issue of the hollywood reporter mm. um and it had uh which was kind of it, it's pitched as the 50 most powerful lgbtq people in hollywood and i'm still a bit like don't know how I feel about these kinds of lists and no one's numbered right it's Mm. not like a most influential people kind of rank it's not ranked but I'm still like do we have can we not just be like I don't know I feel like anything that nudges into sort of like fitting people even though it's not like clear ranking but anyway that aside it's lovely to see space made for all these people, and I just wanted to share russell t davis 's bit because e- each of them have like a little bio and then they 're asked to finish um these three questions. I first felt represented when I saw. I'll feel good about Hollywood's LGBTQ representation when and LGBTQ love story I'd love to see on screen. And I think Russell T Davies is just one of the most charismatic speakers. um, Mm. And and, uh, he just comes across so beautifully because in his answer to I feel good about Hollywood's LGBTQ representation when he says, we get great big hot superheroes, please. Not sweet, (laughs) not sweet representations, but great big horny bastards, male and female. So I am all for more representation uh, through great big horny bastards. And then uh, his response to LGBTQ story I'd love to see on screen. All of them. Romeo choosing Mercutio. Juliet and the nurse. West Side Story with the jets and the sharks at it like knives. Batman <laughs> Batman on Superman. Gay it all up. Everything. And if, if that's not a good... Motto for representation going forward. I don't know what is it.
0: Yeah, you can definitely see the the mind of the man who created uh, Captain Jack Harkness at work. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go on to the main topic this week, which, like I said at the start, is kind of just an extension of the news because we wanted to talk about. If I can uh paraphrase Charlie Kelly in "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia," can we talk about the brands? I've been dying to talk to you about the brands <laughs> um, because, yes, the brands, the brands have been at it again. In this past week, you know, obviously, as the protests about the death of George Floyd and about police brutality in general in America and worldwide have kind of, like, spread... A lot of big companies and a lot of famous people have felt like they need to weigh in on it, and you and I have, I think, been following this sort of thing, because it's, you know, it's something we're interested in, the way in which these big corporations that control so much of the public space, and about who occupy a frankly ludicrous amount of power in the world, are reacting to kind of like social movements, social change, and we wanted to kind of like discuss some of the instances of that, the... Ways in which some of them, I think, have been a little bit uh, clumsy. Some of them have been outright hypocritical. But, you know, what are the, what's the kind of like the value of these sort of things? So I think to kick us off, I want to talk about possibly my favorite example of a brand kind of really trying to get in on the, you know, kind of like advocating for change and supporting Black Lives Matter, which was uh, Grindr, the gay dating app which put out a message saying about support about Black Lives Matter. And then at the end, kind of casually was like, and by the way, we're removing our ethnicity filter from our app. <laughs> I, I saw that. I think that was, I saw that shared in my feed by uh, Adam J. Moussa of ETA, who I think was very, he was like very funny about it. Uh, kind of like, Making fun of it as this kind of like great step for for like for, for representation or whatever, um, but it, the main thing about it being like for you know straight people like me who don't use Grinder suddenly being like wait they had an ethnicity filter yeah it was like a really weird thing where on the one hand you think oh they're stepping up to the plate it's really nice and he's kind of like wow that seems like you were really bending over backwards to coddle the racists on your app, so
1: if looking at. Film in particular,
2: hmm.
1: I think what really became a kind of touch point for a lot of this was John Boyega, all, all yeah. round uh, good lad mm-hmm. who fucking hates racists. Um, and I, so do I. I have not ever been in a Star Wars film, Ed. I don't know if you know about this, what? about me. And he was like brilliant and used his uh, charisma and ability to project yes he had a megaphone to help but I think it's mainly um acting techniques there to be vocal and present and visible at Black Lives Matter protests in London and Mm. said understandably like I may not have a career after this but I don't care and the number of Filmmakers and writers who all came out saying, like, you've always got a job with me.
2: Mm. I
1: thought was just a really interesting snapshot of how power and influence and fame all kind of intersect. Um, yeah. Because not that long after John stood up, there was a Star Wars comment, like, made mm. from, like, the official Star um, social media platforms of Star Wars saying, "Yep, yeah, Black Lives Matter. And I was like, well, I mean... You could have said that before. <laughs> yeah, uh, John said that, and I think the the amount of time it's taking a lot of places to uh, make statements is quite telling. Mm-hmm. I also enjoy that, as several people on Twitter have pointed out, um, John Boyega's character in Star Wars is essentially a violent. Law, you know, enforcer of a mm-hmm. draconian law, and quits. Yes. <laughs> so there's that. Star Wars could have also had Lupita Nyong'a as herself and not, you know, an alien. But that's uh, another, another question for another day. <laughs> I was talking to my boyfriend. I was like, Lupita Nyong'a in Star Wars. What? <laughs> who was she. And you're like, <laughs> Oh god, this is part of the problem. This is part of the problem. It, there's no good casting Lupita Nyonga and then like, I mean. You know, they gave Samuel L. Jackson a purple lightsaber. It's not, it's not enough, but it's a start. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, I think there was an article in Polygon that um, where the title was essentially uh, John Boyega did what Star Wars wouldn't let him.
1: Yes, and yeah, yeah. Which,
0: which was all about how the character of Finn. In the new trilogy, you know, like you say, he starts out as a stormtrooper. He kind of, like, leaves that behind. He's kind of, like, overwhelmed by the violence that he has to carry out. So he, you know, he quits and goes and joins the rebels. And how the first two films very clearly set him upon an arc of him leaving the First Order, but kind of being a reluctant rebel at the end of The Last Jedi. He literally refers to himself as Rebel Scum after he knocks Gwendolyn Christie into a pit of fire. And... It's like, it's very clearly setting him up for some sort of big heroic arc in the third one, which doesn't really happen. And literally everyone who watched The Rise of Skywalker said that one of the, the way that they could have done it that would have made sense for his character would have been having him like lead a stormtrooper revolt. Like him as someone who was a former stormtrooper standing up and saying, like, hey, you don't have to live like this. There is another way, you know, join me, etc., etc., etc. And like that would have been like a powerful resolution for his character. It would have made sense within the themes of the story, it would have made sense within in terms of the events of the first two movies. And they just didn't do that with him. They just really didn't do anything with him in that film. And you know, kind of like that's um, you know, kind of obviously contrasted greatly with the genuine activism that he's engaged in now and the way in which post star wars he has been like very vocal with you know taking people to task for posting like racist shit at him online uh, in a way that definitely kind of like suggests that previously under the aegis of star wars that he maybe was told he shouldn't do that sort of stuff And, like, there is something, there is definitely something about a corporate culture that restricts people from being able to, like, say what they mean. Because, as he points out, you know, there's a chance you may lose lose work as a result.
1: And, you know, I I imagine those Star Wars residuals will still, like, happen. Yeah. And it's not to say that, you know, I mean, Edgar Wright and Charlie Brooker were two people who came out in support of him and... Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, that's a sort of allyship that can happen, but Charlie Booker and Edgar Wright still aren't the one writing the checks and commissioning and greenlighting things. Um, no. So, and this, that isn't to criticise them. That's just to, because they did the right thing there, I believe, mm. that it just shows how rotten the <laughs> power structure is. And in terms of, like, whilst we're on the subject of Star Wars, uh, Oscar Isaac in this kind of last press junket because he was kind of like, well, I'm sort of free and I can basically say what I want now. Um, (laughs) And him him being more forthcoming in terms of how much he wished that Poe and Finn could have a big screen love story. Yeah. And got really on board with the Twitter being, you know, um, Twitter and the internet being very, very much shipping uh, the two of them. Um and to make that canon and to make that explicit rather than just all of the tantalizing glances that we were treated to on the way. Mm. Um and also where the fuck was Star Wars on their social media platforms when Kelly Marie Tran was getting the most horrific
2: mm. abuse?
1: And I think a lot of people said, you know, oh well it's a character thing. No, it's not. Like she's <laughs> she's she's a woman of colour as well. Like that's not you can't that's not in a vacuum.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that I I think that is a theme that you see repeated a lot with all of these not what not all of them but like certainly the vast majority of these brands now coming forward who previously were silent on black lives matter or actively uh took punitive steps against people for advocating for it. I think yeah. the story f- the, from David Oyelowo talking about how the oh. Um, the cast and crew of Selma, who took part in uh, Black Lives Matter protests, because obviously their their movie was about the civil rights movement, which is obviously an antecedent to a lot of the activism that's going the activism the activism that's going on now, and is you know that is a continuum. It's not like these are two separate things. They are connected. The techniques and the arguments that martin luther king was making in the 60s are very similar to the ones that are being made now it's just you know the only things that really changed of the are the haircuts essentially uh, <laughs> between now and a lot of the a lot of the activism that took place in the 60s and yeah it, it's he was talking about how he heard directly from academy members that or you know heard through the grapevine that Academy members felt that their involvement in those protests was too political about about a a political figure, and therefore they were punished for it because the film was not nominated for as many Oscars as people thought that it deserved. You know, it was nominated for Best Picture and Best Song, I believe, were the only two that it ended up getting, despite the widespread acclaim for like pretty much everyone involved in it, and. At, you know, at the same time, like, the Academy's out there posting, like, Black Lives Matter and all this sort of stuff, and, you know, to go outside of the realm of, of film, today uh, or yesterday, I think it was announced that Walmart are giving $100 million to campaigns to fight racism, which, you know, okay, great, but also Walmart, I think, are, like, they're literally one of, if not the biggest employer of black people in America, and they... Pay poverty wages and they're anti union. Yeah. So it's kind of like if you want to fight racism, you know, there's something you can do in your own house without, you know, in in addition to the 100 million, which is great, you know, sure, give that out, give out more if you want. But like, you know, Walmart can f- tackle racism by taking action within its own company rather than, you know, making the goodwill gesture of saying, oh, we're going to give out a bunch of money to charities.
1: Exactly. And that there's nothing wrong with like, if you need better training and admit that you're not doing it well, there's nothing wrong with outsourcing that and giving that economic heft to people who can do that for you. That is not what that is. Just coming circling back onto um, Selma and the Academy Awards Ed, I'm still kind of reeling from the fact that we had Moonlight win Best Picture in 2017 The Shape of Water win in 2018, and then Green Book (laughs) in 2019. And I'm like, what are you, how is, I'm just staggered. And what? the Academy Awards just more and more seems to be this idea of like, you don't get to say films are so powerful because they show us how stories can change the world and then back away from that when it doesn't mm. suit you and why doesn't it suit you? Like, and the ceremony has always been political, even if it's through its insistence of being apolitical. Yeah. Um, And yeah, it's, I was like appalled and, but not surprised by David Oyelowo and and Ava DuVernay. And again, the airing that people are able to give these stories now, because Ava DuVernay is in no way a wallflower and makes brilliant, essential films. But the fact that she felt that she couldn't speak about that at the time because maybe she would be branded, oh, I don't know, hysterical, jealous, you know, to people denying the truth of what she's saying... That I find very telling as well.
0: Yeah, and it it definitely feels like I I I do kind of like wonder if you know anyone ever managed to get Spike Lee on the record. I'm sure he must have some stories about some of his movies not getting the attention they deserve for those sort of reasons, mainly, mainly around like, like do, do the, the right, right thing. thing. Like, like I can't, I can't imagine, imagine that uh, Academy voters took. took that film and, uh, and uh, reacted positively, positively to it, even as they, they normally did it for like a screenplay and a best-boy acting in Like, It definitely feels as if there is a contingent within the Academy who would rather, rather if, you're if you're making movies about important historical figures or, or about current events or about politics, that you don't, don't kind of like go on about, about it.
2: That mm. <laughs> <And laughs> yeah. you
0: don't maybe try and address the real things that are affecting your work and speaking of spike lee as i just did um yeah he also had a great short film out this week uh in which he mixed together uh radio raheem's death in do the right thing along with uh footage of george floyd uh, being killed and eric garner being killed which i'm a little divided on about you know whether or not about the appropriateness of that, of the intermingling of, like, fiction and, and reality in that regard. But uh, it's undeniably incredibly powerful and very upsetting.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So, yeah, so Sp- Spike Lee is is probably doing better than pretty much any other filmmaker when it comes to responding to these crises that we're mm-hmm. yeah. currently going through. In that he also did that great short film about the, you know, Corona and, like, an empty New York, uh, which I recommended a few weeks ago. So, yeah, it's, like, it's not, nice to see someone of his stature like really you know putting putting the work in as he has for so long yeah although as uh, I think Miriam Bale pointed out it still makes it does make Black Klansman seem weird <laughs> in comparison in the sense of like you know he's, he's done all this great activism over the years and then uh he made a movie that's arguably is very pro-cop and certainly a lot of people at the time said that it seemed very pro-cop at a time when even even in 2018 people weren't that weren't that keen on cops Mm,
2: mm -hmm.
0: and again also in terms of if we're talking about like hypocrisy around the uh black lives matter uh movement and the way that different companies have handled it over the year over the years uh l'oreal
2: uh particularly
0: infamous uh, example of this where you know they tweeted out oh black lives matter and you know all of this sort of stuff and then munrell bergdorf who was a trans model who worked with them for a few a few years ago pointed out that she was fired for tweeting about black lives matter several years ago so yeah there's lots of companies that have uh, have have blood on their hands when it comes to this sort of thing really
2: mm.
1: I think it's interesting because it also shows how embarrassing a lot of any kind of brand presence on social media is mm-hmm. and the awkwardness and the, I remember this a little while back with mental health and was it Sunny Delight that was like, <laughs> I'm not feeling so sunny today or something. And then brands kind of being like, oh, I'm here for you, man. I did want to talk. And I was yeah. Like, for, for a second, I thought it was going to be amazing and that it was actually the social media, per, you know, the person who was tweeting those things, who was going to co-opt it mm-hmm. and, and do it. But then it's just like, I feel like it's, I, I'm just reminded of the SNL sketch of high school drama, mm-hmm. which is a, a better sketch in their recent sort of run of, of history, where it, again, it, it, on every level, it's performative. Yeah. <laughs> And I think there is a there is a difference in delineation that's very important between performative and demonstrative,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like yeah. where, where where is the actual action coming? Because what was the one that you sent me? The Garfield eats <laughs> app?
0: Yeah. 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 Garfield really weighing in to post just a picture of his eyes. Yeah. on a black background, <laughs> which I guess is their take on the black square, but. Oh. B- b- so it's like, I guess, social activism but make it Garfield. Um mm. I guess I don't very, like Mondays, very strange. I don't like
1: any days. This is all awful. Please make it
0: stop. It's 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 not as bad as the the serial that like commemorated like 9-11 by just like posting like their mascot no it was it was uh, pearl harbor it was (laughs) was like like where it was like a a, a mascot is just like a giant o holding a flag and just kind of like smiling and they were like just like we remember pearl harbor it's kind of like god you could at least have made him look sad like you know (laughs) it's not quite on those that level of tone deafness but yeah there is certainly a a quality of a lot of these sort of brands trying to navigate the, trying to like promote good causes and genuinely like I, I presume come from a place of like wanting to engage in whatever the kind of like the the mo the 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 cause of the moment is, but also like wanting to get their name out there and and um, H bomber guy did a whole video last year on woke brands which kind of gets into this sort of thing and this is obviously like an extension of that whole trend of of uh brands kind of jumping into contentious social issues in order to kind of like take a side get their name out there and even if they do do good the kind of driving thing still being we want to you know sell you nike shoes or whatever
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh yeah so like even if some good comes out of it it's hard not to separate it from the kind of like disturbing kind of like Grinding of gears of capitalism that's kind of underpinning a lot of these accounts and the things that they're doing. Even though I think, in this instance, in the, the terms of the number of companies that have actually pledged money and donated, it feels like some of them are taking more demonstrable action, even though it's very much of the abstracts. We're throwing money at the problem, we're, we're not, not going to maybe try and fix it ourselves again the Walmart example Nike also kind of have a problem with this in that, you know they are a company that have like very exploitative labor practices which Please. is it fuels kind of like racism and inequality in its own way so like there's lots of or um Amazon you know kind of like being like oh we're, we're gonna kind of like donate money to charities but not unionizing and very recently firing a black member of staff who was trying to unionize and all this sort of stuff like there's yeah I i think there's a lot of again this comes back to there's just a lot of hypocrisy around these sort of things so even if they are getting behind a cause and they're advancing it it's very hard not to look at them askance and think Hmm there's lots of things you could be doing that you are pointedly not doing to kind of fix your own house.
1: Yeah and the kind of one off payment charity is a big one particularly if you're not paying tax. Mm. <laughs> um yeah.
0: Yeah for Amazon it's like if I don't know what their number is but if it was a 100 million dollars for Amazon that that really is nothing.
1: <laughs> uh, Mona Chalabi who's the most incredible data communicator i think i've got her job mm-hmm. title completely wrong but i just love her she's amazing and she has been doing some really solid work on instagram and twitter in terms of creating infographics and mm-hmm. examples and demonstrations to see how much money that actually is because i think it's very difficult <laughs> right. for certainly for me with my complete incapacity to do maths um <laughs> million and billion sound very i mean it's just a it's a lot of difference right No, it's like a staggering difference. And, you know, there there should be no billionaires. And just that amount of wealth, there's no... Any attempt at philanthropy is just completely undermined by the complete lack of... It's just just not. And this is where it's the... I mean, now we call it virtue signalling, but there's always been a company private internal machinations versus public face mm. and it's trying to it's hijacking consumers who are genuinely wanting to be ethical I think I, you know or a lot of people understandably sort of don't really see the connections um, mm-hmm. and don't have choice they're like going full-blown read here, (laughs) I don't really mind, you know, there's the most incredible article by Tristan Harris um, from a few years ago, who has the amazing job title of Design Ethicist, which was generally talking, I don't know, right, which was generally talking about, and and I think very telling that he released this article after he left his lucrative job at Google, um, Mm -hmm. where he was talking about more in terms of like people's attention and trying to help people not get stuck in spirals online. -hmm. But there is a line that has always stuck with me, and I think um, is a summation of my politics in terms of where freedom is concerned. Where he said, um, you know, freedom is not about the choices made available to us, freedom is about the friction caused by making those choices. Mm -hmm. And that's it. A lot more people have a lot more friction in what seem to be the choices given to them, it's like, well that's an option, but actually it's not an option for these people because there is too much friction um in terms of it's not as you know, a fiver has a set value, um a fluctuating one well, still, on the money market, but a fiver in someone's pocket means something very different depending on your socio economic status. And this is the thing with the cinema, like it's we always used to say, I remember in, in places that I've worked for, it's the idea that cinema is a cheap night out compared to a live concert or a gig or whatever. And I guess technically speaking it is, but that ticket prices have been creeping up and up and cost of living has and there's no budge in wages. It's not a cheap night out anymore. Um, and it wasn't in the run up to the pandemic. And it's the pandemic's just exacerbating the issues that are already there. I, I mean, I'm not exactly sitting around personally being like, but what does my favorite brand of like butter think about this? Mm-hmm. Is what I'm trying to say. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a humanitarian and political issue that people are being murdered in broad daylight on the streets because of the color of their skin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And even though I want, I want unity and I want response with brands I'm just always going to be suspicious
2: hmm
0: for me I think that the only value other than you know like oh great these charities will get like more money they wouldn't have got and that's great and good work will be done with that the value in something like this where you are seeing so many companies jump onto a cause like Black Lives Matter campaign and movement like that that previously was considered so toxic that people were fired for supporting it or people were punished for supporting it is valuable as an indicator of where society is moving on that cause so in and of itself yeah yeah, brands posting a hashtag and posting a you know like their low garfield eyes over the words black lives matter that stuff doesn't really have an impact in much of a material way but as you know if you if you're thinking okay these are people who are you know fairly savvy business people their job is to try and see which way the wind is blowing and to go with it if they are seeing that the broader winds of change are moving in that direction and they want to be on board with it. That has to be considered something of a positive, but in and of itself, it's not, it's more just kind of a data point in like the, the broader sense of like, look at how many people are on the streets. Look at how many people are talking about this. Look at how many people are engaging and want change. That, that, that is the positive thing. And the brands' being on board is like more of kind of like a thing that is kind of like a kind of like a comforting thing is that makes you think, okay, a lot of the people who would rather usually you don't think about politics are on board with this thing, so maybe they have decided this is too big of a thing for us to get in the way of
1: mm. it's up to us to keep the pressure on um <clears throat> and I think I've been thinking a little bit about the Overton window recently Mm. um, which for anyone in the US who's listening or or who just isn't familiar with that term, um, the Overton window is a term given to what is seen as like acceptable in political debate and campaigning um, in the UK and I was thinking about it off the back of listening to an episode of Revisionist History Malcolm Gladwell's podcast Um, Mm. and big shout out to my friend Lindsay for recommending it to me I just hadn't really been that aware of it and I listened to the paradox of satire episode which is achingly made in like August 2016 and you can really feel that but there's it's also quite prophetic in terms of the lessons learned in the failings of American political satire and the buddy-buddiness of it yes I am looking squarely at SNL and a lot of uh, late night talk show hosts Mm -hmm. in that, you know, irony is something that's very, it's very delicate and has to be handled well Mm -hmm. because you risk, you you risk giving certain views a platform that you're trying to criticise, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think that paradox is very pertinent in terms of how, we're trying to respond and the idea that, you know, satire is dead and I'm like, I don't think it's dead. I just think it's struggling because a lot of people who are writing it are like, oh, you couldn't make this up. It is being made up, It's (laughs) like it's happening. (laughs) It's happening, it's being orchestrated by people. But I was thinking about the Overton window and I think the comedy and culture edge that window as well. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think when, it, when things hit mainstream politics, it's been circling around in other areas for a long time. And we're still in the wake of appreciating how the internet has just completely changed that. Yeah. For good and for bad in, in both directions. And I think that's it. I agree with you, Ed, because for me, as soon as brands start talking about something it's indicative that something is working, but it's not the brands, right? It's just, they they are aware, they can hear the Overton window creaking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we end this episode, as we end all our episodes of Shot Reverse Shot Recommends, which we talk about a piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you, the listeners, will enjoy as well. Emily, what have you got to recommend for the listeners this week?
1: I have a YouTube video by Zoe Amira, um, which has... Basically, it's 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 best to search to find it by searching on YouTube and um, how to financially help BLM with no money, leaving your house. Um, but if you search Zoe Amira, A M I R A, she's made this incredible like hour long compilation of various different Black artists. Um, Mm -hmm. across like music and painting and oh there's just so much there but all of the AdSense is being donated to Black Lives Matter and bail funds so um, you can watch it because you should because it's amazing but you can also through her instructions um, play it several times (laughs) (laughs) so I think if you want to have a great viewing experience and be able to help because I know a lot of our listeners will be in a position not being able to donate financially as much as they perhaps like to so whack that on and you will be uh you will be thoroughly entertained and also be helping the most important cause
2: yeah
0: I will recommend something that's not nearly as worthy <laughs> but uh, I watched The uh, the Trip to Greece this week because it's just become available on, on Cinema on Demand over here in the US and I think it's also playing at drive-ins but there were no drive-ins near me playing it otherwise I would have gone to see it just for the novelty um, but uh, it's the fourth film in the trip series uh, or, or fourth series I guess in the UK, obviously, it airs as a TV show, but over here in the US, they've always compiled them together as as films. Um, So that's the version I watched. And I think it's a really sweet finale, if indeed it is the last time they make one of these, which is very much about the passage of time, about mortality, about ageing, about how fundamentally... Kind of desperate and pathetic, uh, the Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden characters are uh, at this point, in that they're kind of like how petty their rivalries are. Certainly, in the face of genuine kind of like tragedies in their own life or broader kind of like political things, you know, one of the things that happens very early on in their journey where they're retracing Odysseus's uh, journey home is they kind of arrive in Greece and. Uh, they encounter a man who uh, had worked with coogan on the michael which Witt- michael winterbrotten's previous movie greed um who uh, is there to work with refugees so there's this very much this real kind of sense of like uh you know like we can't just pretend these uh films are just kind of like oh, ha, ha happy you know kind of going around doing impressions having food you know when they are taking place in countries that have you know kind of seen the brunt of the refugee crisis and there's just kind of like a melancholy to the whole thing and a sadness to the whole thing that I think really puts a nice capper on the whole story of, of what they've done over the four series slash films particularly in terms of the question of what the relationship between Bryden and Coogan ultimately means, you know, when they are faced with like genuine crises in their own lives. So I, I it's still super funny, you know, like all of their bits together are really entertaining and they have such an easy rapport and it's really funny watching them crack each other up. But at its core, I think there is something really kind of dark and melancholy that really... Uh, enriches this film and also some of the, the previous films as well if you've enjoyed this episode of the show then please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM Spotify, all the usual places rate reviewers, and recommend to your friends it's the best way to help us grow our audience you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter where we are at SRS underscore podcast we'll be back next time with something entirely different but until then it's goodbye from me
1: and it's goodbye from me, gay it all up everything <laughs>